how would you ever take somebody else's money and not be willing to risk your own, right? We had the highest net migration of any province. I just think it's awesome that you can you can buy and hold something that's, you know, this old. I think what's keeping values up right now is just Today we're doing another question and answer episode. We try to throw these in there pretty regularly. Let's us interact with people, get some questions answered. We try to pick ones that, that everyone would want to hear. If you ever have a question, just send it anytime. We, you don't have to wait till we post that we're having one of these episodes. You can just send a DM. We'll either answer it right there or if I, if I like it for the episode, we'll keep it and answer it on the episode. The first question was, if cap rates will come down in Alberta now that we have all this influx of investors from BC and Ontario. And it should do that. I mean, the, the cap rate should come down, prices should go up because we have way more people wanting to buy. The problem is we're already in a market where the cap rates are in most cases lower than the interest rate. So you can't you just can't go much lower because nothing will get financed. So unless someone is coming in, paying all cash or putting 50% down and taking interest only, you just there's almost no way to finance something when the cap rate gets too low unless you're putting in a lot of money. And if you are, you're not gonna get a yield. So the cap rates don't have a lot of room to move. The one thing that's, that's kind of kept the market in a weird spot is that rents are increasing so quickly here that, that the, the value of the buildings haven't dropped. And I think also a lot of people aren't willing to sell today. That's why you don't see a lot of stuff on the market because they can see, you know, rents are going up really rapidly and they're projected to for quite a long time. There's really no insight there. And over the next, let's say five years, interest rates will probably go down. So rents are going up interest rates going down. You have a, a big spread there. So most people, if you can afford to keep the building, aren't going to sell. So there's very little on the market. Um, and it's just, it's kind of a weird time like that where, you know, a lot of stuff should be different than it is. We should see prices have came down, but then rents are coming up and kind of keeping them there. And there's just so much demand both on the, on the rental side, people wanting to rent, but also people wanting to buy buildings right now. People still want to buy, even if interest rates are high for sure. If you are coming from a market like BC or Ontario, I mean, stuff still looks really cheap here and cap rates still look really good. So I think it's a while till we see values moving uh, down for sure. But I do think at some point we start to see more and more of the loans coming due and people will be, will choose to sell. So most commercial loans are, you know, guys are taking five year terms or, or you can take 10 year. So not all, not that many loans have really came up since interest rates are at, you know, as high as they are today. Over the next couple of years, you're obviously going to see more and more of them coming up and there will be people that just decide it's not worth keeping or maybe the property that just doesn't work. They don't want to leverage or they're not allowed to leverage past a certain amount. So I think you'll start to see stuff come to the market. But now instead of that causing prices to come down, now you have all these extra people coming in and wanting to buy. So I don't think it, it moves the cap rates down just because I don't think there's a lot of room to move them down. I think what's keeping values up right now is just the rents have increased so much over the last year and and will continue to so people are willing to pay a bit more for property. The next question was if I think 
Edmonton and Calgary will start to become unaffordable if rents keep increasing as quick as they are. And that one, I think, is a little easier one to answer. I, we have so far to go before that happens. So it is hard when, when a city's used to having a certain rent, a level of rent, and it starts going up for people to get used to it and adjust to that. But the reality is a one-bedroom in Edmonton is still $1,300, and in Vancouver, it's 3000 but we have higher incomes here, lower taxes. So people will be able to afford it. Now, I don't think we'll get to 3,000 here and I, I hope we don't, but there's a lot of disposable income. People are just used to having the standard be $1,000 or, or $1,200. And in most other cities, it's double that. So even Vancouver, you're well over 2,000 for a one bed. So you can get there, and we're still not even close to the income ratio that they are in those cities because we have such a higher earning population. So I think we have a very long way to go before it becomes unaffordable. I think there's a lot of, uh, there'll be a lot of pushback. And, and, and again, I think we can build here quicker. So hopefully it doesn't get out of hand that way. We don't need it to. Um, even, I mean, it would obviously benefit anyone who's holding property, but I don't think it's good if people are, are stretched that thin, but we could definitely move up, you know, 20, 30%. And it, it really, that's that amount of income for people. They're doing it in every other city. We're just not used to doing it in Alberta. So I do think the rents continue to go just because of on, on the supply side, it's tightening so much and it's going to get a lot worse in the next year. I mean, we're breaking all kinds of records for migrating people here. StatsCan just came out with, with some their mid-year report, and we had the highest net migration of any province in the 52 years they've been recording that stat. So it's definitely a, a, you know, a boom in place. I think the article said in Canada, population is booming, and Alberta is the boomingest place of all. So I thought that was kind of clever, but I think there's so much demand. It's, it's prices have to go up. Um, and that's one thing just kind of to tie into the debt side, you know, a lot of people are locking in or are taking the CMHC loans that are tied to affordability. And so a lot of those rents won't be able to go up as fast as the market does, which will keep, you know, a certain amount affordable and also keep the buildings worth that much less because you can't get the rents up the same as the market rate. The next question was more of a personal one. I'd got asked this on the panel as well, so I thought I'd just cover it here, was what my daily routine looks like. And it's different every day, but for the most part in the morning, the priority is is getting the kids ready and, and off to school and daycare. Three kids under six, and we have to leave the house by seven. So, you know, we get up at six and, and get them ready. That's kind of the, the first morning thing. And then if at all possible, the the non-negotiables for me, the things I don't miss, I go to the gym and I either do a cold plunge or cold shower every day. Other than that, it, there's not a lot of routine. Most days are different, um, but I do try to make it a point to I either read, listen to a podcast or a book at some, at some point. And that doesn't mean I'm like sitting there for a long time and doing that. Every time I'm driving, I'm generally listening to some type of information, podcast or book. When I'm working out, I almost always do. So I try to find time where it works. I think one thing that gets lost a lot is people read, you know, about someone really successful in their daily routine and they got 20 things in there that they do and and it all sounds great. 
and I think it's maybe missed that they're 20 years into their career, right? So if you're at a point where your day-to-day is a lot more predictable and you do, you know, you're probably only working a few hours, all that stuff's great. When you're starting out and you're you're in it day-to-day, I think it's, you know, I, I always think health should be a huge priority, but there's a lot of things that probably get shuffled day-to-day and moved around a bit. But I do think health is one of the most important things and it does tie into business. I mean, at a very high level, I think a lot of the successful people are are healthy to some extent. You can just operate better, you have less brain fog, you feel a lot better, you can work longer. So I think health should be a priority for everyone. It always has been for me, even just mental health. I always feel better after I go to the gym, um, try to eat pretty healthy. So those are those are the kind of my things I try not to miss. The next one was on the property side, what we track monthly for each property. Um, obviously vacancy, which everybody does. And then we track, I always track gross revenue. It's a little easier net we track as well, but the gross number, you, you always know if you're going up or down, you know, net some, uh, there can be a big expense that comes out once a year. You're doing your fall cleanup or you're doing your, getting your boiler serviced or whatever that is. So you need to look at it, but it's harder to, to kind of tell, um, the trajectory of the building. Uh, so we always check that we check average rents and, and that goes back from as long as we have the property. So you can usually see pretty nicely, you know, obviously now the graph looks great because those numbers are going up month over month. Uh, turnover. We have a program that we implemented. Uh, uh, we call it TIP. It's a tenant incentive program to keep people in the building, helps them build up uh, savings as well. So we do that instead of incentivizing people to move in, we incentivize them to stay. So we track turnover for every property every month, and we can kind of see if you know if the program's working or not. And then we just track uh, vacant units, how long. Each one is sad how long the renovations are taking and then arrears because obviously we want to keep, that's for each building as well so we can always see you know how many people haven't paid so those are the main ones we obviously look at a lot of other stuff track a lot of other stuff but that would be those would be the the ones that we pretty religiously check this question was where does a new investor raise capital and i get asked this a lot even at the investor we were on this was what most of the questions were related to was raising capital and i think right now there's just so many courses that teach you know use other people's money you don't need your own money things like that but try to think of it you know as an investment or as an investor what that looks like if you've never done a deal before and you're 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 supposed to give this person money they have no track record i always do think it's better if you've done something do do one on your own even if it's smaller or you know, partner with someone and do one where you're putting in the, the work. So at least you can show something, right? Because if you've never done it, you're competing with guys who've probably done, if you're doing flips, let's say, there's people who've done 10 flips, there's people who've done hundreds or thousands, and you're asking the investors to come in with you, you know, why did, did you find this deal instead of everybody else? And there's all those questions that for sure, if you're taking money from somebody you don't know, there's no trust there. Right. So at some point your, your character and your track record will attract people to invest with you. But at the very beginning, it's very hard. And I think that's why it's friends and family, right? If you're, if you're 
partnering with your family or your friends are doing it, it, it makes sense and, and they'll trust in you to do it. But try to do some on your own. When we started, we already had years of experience doing the mobile home parks. And then we, when we moved to the city, we bought you know, 27 townhouses and we bought 46 apartments. And then we went to buy the 96 unit is when we rolled it into the investment vehicle it is today and took, took investment. But we could show what we'd done with those properties. And, and on the management side, we'd own them long enough that you could show you could manage them properly. And, you, and we did the turnover and we got rents up and we had the track record with the park and we were picking good assets. You can, you can do all of that. So then even if you're competing, like we compete with people who have billions of dollars in real estate, right? People could invest with them rather. And a lot of people choose to invest with us because, you know, but a lot of them also know us, right? It's not like we're getting a lot of random people that we don't know that come to invest. Usually it's people that know us, they see what we're doing, they like it. I think we have a better offering than a lot of the bigger companies. There's a lot less layers in our companies. So people aren't, you know, there's not people making fees at three different layers selling this investment. It's just us. So I think we have a good yield, all of that stuff. But starting out, for sure, you know, a lot of the people who ask have never done a deal. I had one guy reach out and I asked him, I said, well, how much of your money are you putting in? And he said, well, not, I don't, I don't want to risk my money. And I'm like, how would you ever take somebody else's money and not be willing to risk your own, right? Every deal that we do, I put money into, I sign on the debt and it's, I'm all in, right? My, all my friends and family are invested with us. And it, you know, that people can see that and there's commitment there. If you're not putting your own money in, if you're just putting in sweat equity, I always think, you know, every other company is doing that too and they're charging a fee for it. So it's not that you can't do it, but I would say do it, either do it with people you know, but try to get enough money to do the first deal or two on your own because there's also a lot of extra stress when you bring in other people's money and you're trying to do a deal and you're trying to figure it out on the fly. There's things that are gonna come up, it doesn't matter how many courses you've done or books you've read that you will not think of that will come up and just hit you out of nowhere. And there's a lot more stress when you're carrying other people's money into that deal and then trying to figure it out, right? And so I think a lot of people, yeah, the best advice I can give is I would try to do it on your own. Don't buy into that you're just going to go raise a bunch of capital, buy a ton of property and and become rich overnight. That doesn't happen. The other thing is if you don't have any equity of your own, and the property isn't performing and money has to go into the company, you're going to have to go back to those same investors and ask to inject money in. And that's, you know, probably going to be the end of them ever investing with you. Or, you know, it's usually not a good situation. And it's just a lot of stress. Most people don't really think of that. They just say, oh, we'll take this money, we'll buy this, crush it, give, you know, give some return back, we'll own the property. And that just usually isn't how it works. You're carrying a lot of extra stress. A lot of other people are counting on you. And for the first couple, I would just say you don't need that. You try to do it on your own. Most people can, can figure out how to do it. So that would be my advice on that. A couple of people have asked about all the stuff in behind me here where we film. So if you're just listening to this, you obviously won't be able to see it. Just jump on YouTube and watch the video. But I just thought I'd cover maybe one thing an episode and kind of go through some of the stuff that I think is really cool. The first thing's over here. It's, uh, this is an actual Maglodon tooth. So for me, the first thing I ever want to splurge on or when I get enough money that I can just waste money on something is 
a mammoth tusk. I think it's super cool. They look awesome. You can get huge sets of them. They're very expensive, but it's also something that they're never going to, you know, you're not going to be able to produce new ones, right? And Megalodon Tooth was up there for me too. Now this isn't a great one. It's all, it's it's turned black and everything. So it's not super valuable or anything. But I kind of, my son is really into gems and fossils. So we were at a, a gem show and, and we seen this and decided to buy it. I just think it's awesome that you can, you can buy and hold something that's, you know, this old. And you look at this compared to, I don't know if you've ever seen a great white tooth, but how big this animal would have been. And it's, you know, tens of thousands or years old. So I think that's really cool. Um, for me, I love old stuff like that. And I really like that my son's into it probably because I've, <laughs> I kind of got him into it so that, um, instead of buying like, you know, little toys that, that aren't going to last, we can buy cool stuff like this. Um, so yeah, hopefully I can buy more, more fossils and gems. I really like stuff like this. So that's the first thing I'll cover. And like I said, I'll go through some of the other stuff that we have on, on the next episode that we film next Q and A one. Um, if you guys want, like I said at the beginning, just ask questions at any, any time I'm on Instagram, that's where I'm the most active. So if you DM, it's, it's, you know, going to be me answering. If you have questions that you'd like longer formats or like on the show, ask them on there. You can just shoot me messages. I met a lot of cool people just, just through social media stuff already. We'll go for lunch and, and I love meeting new people. I love talking about real estate. It's, uh, it's my favorite thing to talk about. And, and I'm sure my family gets sick of me just talking about it to them. So I'm always open to, to meeting uh, new people. And if you can follow, like, subscribe, I, I say it all the time, but that really does help. So if you can give us a like and uh, follow the channel or follow the podcast wherever you are, and it helps us get out to new people. 